Let's pray. Lord, it's all about you, and we don't want to hide it this morning. We want to follow you to the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. Um, I have in, on my dresser, I got this um, calendar for Christmas. It's an NHL hockey calendar that has little facts that really are not that important. A little trivia. But anyways, I didn't read one of them on it, but it said that there's this goalie who used to play for St. Louis. His name was Glenn Hall. Some of you may be reminded of Glenn Hall. But anyways, before every game, every game, and he played for like 20 or 30 years, he, he threw up. Um, so if Glenn Hall can get a little bit nervous, I guess it's okay for... I'm not going to throw up on you. Um... First thing we want to say to you this morning is uh, thank you. Um, and we have many reasons um, to be thankful, uh, our family. Um, and it's not just a prelude to get on to something else. Uh, we're, we are really rooted in Rexdale Alliance Church. Uh, it's not a a politically correct statement from the platform, platform. Um, but we have many good reasons. But one of the main reasons is that it's a, a mark of a disciple to be ready to give thanks. Um, you remember the story? Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, and on his way on the journey, he um, met ten lepers there. And he was greeted by ten lepers, and they gave him the expected distance but they cried out to him they said Jesus have mercy on us and Jesus looked at them and he knew their need and he said go show yourself to the priests and so off they went and they were on their way showed themselves to the priests and then all ten of them realized that they were healed all ten were healed but it was only one who stopped. He stopped dead in his tracks and he beelined it back to Jesus. And he threw himself at Jesus' feet and he couldn't stop saying thanks. One out of ten did the important thing. And perhaps the other nine were maybe they were legalists or literalists and they thought, well, Jesus did say, you know, we should go see the priest. He said, forget it. He did the important thing. And he says, I just got to say, say thanks because uh, Jesus has helped me a lot. And so he did. And so we, we want to be like that disciple this morning. I know many of you do as well. And we just have to say thanks um, uh, because of the help that has come through Rexdale Lions Church. Um, God has done many good and helpful things. And I'm going to show you some slides that will probably not mean a lot to you because actually the slides are a little bit boring. In one sense, but the, they come alive to us because there's a story behind each one. And you'll know what I mean when I show you the first slide. So I won't be offended if you don't go. Ooh. Um, this is where we live, Renforth and Rathburn. And it is a great location. Um, and when we take the kids to school and we go to Mill Valley 
or when I drop Mitch off at Hollycrest, or go to um, the Etobicoke Olympia where our kids swim, or we go tobogganing, and we do that a lot at Centennial Hill, or even when we go to this place Saturday morning, um, uh, we forget to get bread or something, we just slip on our shoes, and then we walk on out to the no-frills. Um, all of these places are a source of praise for us because we know that many of you um, put time to go and um, do some do some visiting that we couldn't do while we we're in Malawi. Uh, you, you emailed us, you walked through it with us, and you visited these places. You said, this is a good situation. We bounced back emails, um, and that's why we're thankful for it. Um, we love it where we are. Um, so um, here's our vehicle. It's a it's a great vehicle. It's a 1988 Dodge Caravan, and um, we're so thankful for Matthew and all the people that that um, helped put that together for us. Um, my kids swim at the Etobicoke Olympium, and they went to a meet uh, last week. And um, my friend, a good friend of mine, uh, was going to drive them there. And so Dave got in the car and took the kids, and he dropped them at the entrance to the Olympium. And uh, kids, for the first time, were greeted by their friends. I said, oh, what a nice car, nice wheels. And then they said, well, that never happens to us when you drive us there, Dad. <laughs> but that's okay. And the reason it doesn't happen is that, that, you know, those kids just don't know the story. And Laura and I, many times when we're driving around, we love it. And we say, isn't this great? Sometimes they say it's great. But anyway, <laughs> but that's the heart of what we want to say. Um, thanks a lot. Uh, this furlough that we started in, in, in June um, has really been put together because a lot of you um, were our hands and feet and our voice and so on. And uh, there's stories behind those slides, and that's um, we thank God for it very much. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, a couple of weeks ago, uh, sitting up in the balcony um, and uh, listen to the message or the theme was, I think, uh, it takes a village to raise a child. Now, when I came to this church, I was I went to church, but didn't really get it um, and only went there um, if perhaps hockey practice or some other thing did get in the way. And uh, so I came here when I was my biological age was 17. But my spiritual age, I was just an infant. And um, Rexdale Alliance Church shaped me. And I could tell you, and I'd like to tell you, but not from here, but I could tell you many stories of how people came alongside uh, myself. Um, and really, it was the people from this village that uh, had a lot to do with shaping, uh, shaking, shaping my life. And I'm thankful for that. But here's one snippet I will tell you. Laura Lee and I were married here uh, December 16th, 1989. And um, I don't know what the modern theories about getting married are. Um, but I can tell you that the major... Well, I have an idea of what they are, but... The major influences were the people from this village that prepared the soil for us to come together. Uh, and they affirmed this, the decision and... Uh, they made it doable. The community was largely responsible 
and I say largely responsible, for us coming together. We married largely because of some from this village. And, um, you know, if Laura and I had met a few years earlier, she wouldn't have looked at me, and I wouldn't have, I probably would have returned the favor. And, <laughs> and we would have given really no thought of there being an us. We wouldn't have. And she, Lauren, we know that. Um, but here we are, and we thank God for that. And generally, I am not characterized, you can ask Laura, uh, as being a person from whom decisions just overflow. <laughs> I'm not a real decision maker. Uh, I like to consider mulling things over. Um, my tendency, and it comes naturally, and I, I do tend this way, is to think decision making is far too decisive. <laughs> and I think it's overrated. But strangely, I have never thought that way about her marriage. It's beyond questioning, and it's because of the help of this village. So thanks very much. Scott has given you a little glimpse into our thank you uh, from us personally, and what I want to do now is just to change it to our thank you from Malawi, because we don't come to you representing ourselves. We actually come to you representing the people we work with, and uh, we're wearing these clothes in honor of them. And this is actually how I would dress, and I, this is the most comfortable I have felt since I arrived in Canada. And I want you to know I'm bringing in the Chinese New Year. <laughs> This is actually, this was the hottest cloth to buy in 2003-2004. So anyway, we're being very multicultural here tonight, or today. Uh, Scott was right about Rexdale playing a huge part in our early formation, all the way to when we were commissioned here in 1997. And it was in the first two years in Malawi, it was knowing who sent us that actually sustained us many times during some difficult circumstances. God was very merciful to birth the leadership training program uh, in Malawi. And many people don't understand, you know, they'd wonder why we're not doing a lot of evangelism. That's not necessarily what is needed. Uh, what is needed is strengthening leadership. And uh, there's, there's a saying by one African who has said that the church in Africa is a million miles wide, but only a few inches deep. And that is a reality. Even one African said to a missionary, you know, you came and you told us what to think, but you never told us how to live. And so the issue of discipleship is a huge one, and we're so thankful to be able to play a part in that. And Rexdale has played a part in that. Uh, Rexdale has helped over 110 leaders in uh, Malawi and Mozambique come through a three-year training program. An individual from Rexdale also helped out with income-generating business ventures, and today we have an egg store, a rented market stall, and a re rental house uh, from different uh, uh, sources, all of which are intended to help the Malawians have a sense of ownership and feel like they can actually do something within their own context. Any of you who know anything about income-generating, that is a very difficult thing to actually get uh, working. As well, another visit from an individual in Rexdale helped us with the translation. They didn't help us with the translation, but they helped us set up a computer program that was then used for the translation of 62 pastoral training booklets that we use. 
Uh, we also have a prayer group here who has met faithfully, and they, I feel, very much are, are an integral reason why we've been able to do some of the things we have done. Other people have helped continuously uh, and faithfully with prayer letters and brochures and different things. And in 1999, Pastor Andre came with a team to Malawi. He was visiting some World Vision projects uh, because of their input in the 30-hour famine, and they also uh, were able to come and see us. And it was there that a dream to have a functional church building for our church in Malawi was able to become a reality in 2003. I'm just going to show you a few slides. Not very. Uh, this is Pastor Yacobi and his wife. Uh, as you can see, she's wearing the same outfit. Uh, they actually were the ones who had this, these made for us. And the plan was we were hoping that they were going to be here with us uh, these, this weekend and as well for a, a few weeks. And we were supposed to be twins. So anyway, there you see it. And he shepherds. He's, his influence in the, church, in the denomination is huge. Uh, he was a fisherman selling fish from Monday to Saturday and uh, pastoring a small uh, little congregation. And God has just grown him and has used his gifts and his abilities and his passion uh, incredibly. Uh, this is him actually at a, a, a graduation ceremony, just showing you that uh, there are certificates that are given out. And this is the church building that Rexdale helped construct. And I think we've got some other pictures. I think my blank slide is now. <laughs> and I'll show you the before and after. I think that we have one of the old and new. Is that one? Okay, here's a picture of what the building looks like. It's a lovely building. Lots, lots of air conditioning, no glass in the windows because it would just get broken. So uh, we have lovely air conditioning. And can we have the other picture that shows the before and after? There's one more. Is it there? Okay. Ah, there we go. Okay. Can you see the difference? <laughs> Which one do you think would fall down in the rainy season? And actually, that one did fall down two times in the rainy season. And it actually started off as a nice large building and got slowly smaller and smaller. And we had to put mats on the outside of the church to have people sitting. And uh, anyway, we are so incredibly thankful. And that's what I want to go to now. I have a letter here from Pastor Yacobi that he sent to me on Friday. And this is what he says. Special thanks for the Chinnamwali Church building. Dear brethren, greetings in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I write this letter on behalf of Chinnamwali Church to thank you all for the commendable job which you have done by giving us the permanent church building. This church started on 31st July 1994, and we were renting a certain secondary school hall. It was very difficult for us to pay the monthly rent as a result, and as a result we started to meet in my house. Just because the congregation was becoming bigger, we left the, the house and built a grass shade. Over the years, a number of shades were built, but it was always difficult in the rainy season. It was funny to see people using umbrellas during the worship service. We were still praying for the permanent church buildings. Now it is a different story. God has answered our prayers through you, brethren, Rexdale Alliance Church. Our church building is one of the most beautiful church buildings in Malawi. By the grace of God, we have this church building. Please receive our sincere gratitude. It is our prayer that God will continue to bless your church and each one of you abundantly so that you can continue to help wherever there is need, both physically and spiritually. 
Yours in his service, Pastor Yacobi. And the church had a painting done for you. And this painting was, uh, was done by a young fellow named Peter Paul. Talk about two very powerful names to have. Uh, and he has no art training. He is extremely poor, but he has done an amazing job. And we want to make this presentation uh, to Sam on behalf of the whole rest of the church. And this is from our church to your church. So... Now, the service for this, uh, the opening of this uh, building was uh, over six hours long. And we want to give you a little taste, not of the time, but of the experience. Okay, here's a picture of kind of the core group of the congregation there. Uh, As you can see by the joy in the kids' uh, uh, faces, we have a lot of action in Malawi. I'm telling you, you guys, you cannot come to church and just sit down and maybe stand up two or three times and then leave the building. All right? This is our worship leader, uh, Bambo Mambo. He is a very dear friend of ours. And uh, as you can see, it is full body worship. So we want to give you a little taste of that. I hope you're ready. Okay? Now... What we're going to do is we're going to teach you a chorus. I just, uh, good, I have a blank slide. I'm always amazed when I, we do this right. Um, we're going to teach you a chorus. It is very simple, okay? We're going to go through the pronunciation, but we are going to combine it with the offering. Uh, we're going to practice it two times through together. And then after that we've done it two times, the ushers will come forward. Uh, and you are going to exit from the right Yeah. 
Well, that's the next best thing, I guess, from having Bombo Mambo here. Um, we would like to take you there, but we can't. Um, how does this work? Okay. Um, our message this morning is uh, entitled, Hold Them Here, Hold Them There, Just Don't Hold Them Here and There. And it's based on Jesus' words in John 31b. 32, Jesus is speaking and says, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And the message translates the verse this way. If you stick with this, living out what I tell you, you are are my disciples for sure. Then you will experience for yourselves the truth, and the truth will free you. The location of our holding him might be Moscow, Malawi, or Mississauga, but his teachings don't vary. That stays the same. Now, this is a discipleship passage, and I think it's necessary to say two things right up front when you talk about discipleship. Um, And the first comes from a book I read, and I've kind of contextualized it to uh, what's applicable um, this morning. So when we speak about discipleship this morning, um, we are not claiming to have been good disciples. All we claim, and this seems bold enough to us, is that we have been disciples. We have violated our own best precepts of discipleship. As we look back on our ministry, we do not see our faithfulness. What we see is God's faithfulness. Our performance has been mixed. God is the one that has been faithful at every point. This is not humble mumble jumbo. Um, there's evidence of this found in some of my journaling, and I'm amazed when I look back, and I've had the opportunity to do that in preparation for, for this morning. Um, I'm amazed that my journaling is like a theological commentary. And I'm, I'm making truthful statements, good orthodox statements and stuff like that. But there's little interaction with the events of the day in concrete situations. And um, there's a lot of growth that is needed there. And on one occasion I wrote in our journal, my journal, uh, March 5th, 2003, God is and has been present through Jesus. Where have you been? I don't know if that happens to you sometimes. Um, And I'm sure it does. But there's a parallel reality that has been going on, even so though all that stuff is true in our life. God has been faithful. He's been faithful and he's uh, used us to, in, in Malawi. And I don't totally understand it, but there's evidence for it. And we thank God for that. Um, more importantly, though, when speaking about discipleship, I just want to remind you of Jesus' words in John 10, where he is the good shepherd. He knows how to lead us well and exactly what it will take to make us into what he wants us to be. Following him is intended to cost us and it can hurt. But Jesus will never abuse anyone. He will never abuse you. Yet this world can be cruel, and some of you may have experienced that to a a degree unimaginable to many of us, and the scars are deep. Jesus' word of following you this morning would be first and foremost, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. 
For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Jesus is a good shepherd, but he knows where to take you. And if we go back to our passage in John chapter 8, verse 31, and read it to the end of the chapter, there's a discussion going on between Jesus and these wannabe, what I call wannabe disciples. Um, And they believed him to a point. But when he began to give them their first lesson or gave them a teaching to hold on to, it couldn't penetrate and they couldn't hold it. They took offense and there was no room for his word. Here's how the discussion went. Oops. I just summarized the the content of chapter 8. Jesus starts, he says, um, real disciples hold my teaching. They know the truth and are made free. And the wannabe disciples said, freedom, we're free. We're not slaves. And they took offense. And the rest from there was basically downhill because of their inability to allow his word to penetrate. He says, you like everyone else are slaves to sin. But I, the son, can free you. You have no room for this, though, because you have another father. And they said, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said, no, he isn't. Abraham loved the truth. You have a different father. And they responded, the wannabe disciples said, I'm telling you, we are Abraham's and God is our father. And Jesus said, you don't belong to God. You don't receive me or my word. You love lies. The devil is your father. And the wannabe disciples said, you're not one of us. You're demon possessed. Jesus says, no, I'm not. I honor God. Who do you think you are, greater than Abraham? Jesus said, yes, I pre-exist Abraham. Before he was, I am. And then they say, we're going to kill you. So they want to stone him. Now, these wannabe disciples, their journey journey in discipleship wasn't too long. It was over um, just after that discussion. Um, So the question is, what can we take from this kind of exchange. And the first thing a disciple does is he lets him speak. We need to let Jesus speak. We need to give him the floor. We let Jesus speak because it's the continual, ongoing first step of all obedient following. That's what disciples do. It doesn't matter. You might be 15. You might be African, Chinese. You might be 60, 70. It's a continual, ongoing process of making sure that we let him speak. Sometimes, um, since we've come home, Laura and I like to watch uh, Law and Order. Ever watch Law and Order? Yeah. Okay. Um, Quite often, near the end of the show, there's a new key witness that walks into the court. And he arrives there, and he's there to take the stand. And, of course, one of the lawyers objects. And then the judge judge says, objection overruled. And then he hammers his gavel on the stand, I guess it is, with a crash. So the key witness takes the stand. And everybody's eyes are riveted on this person in the witness box. They are silent, waiting for the words of the key witness. 
I believe God wants to bring down his gavel and silence all objections to Jesus so that he can speak and be the key witness to the, the truth of being a disciple and that he can take his stand in the witness box and speak. He wants to do that to us and for us. And he does it as a good shepherd. During our last term in Malawi, I had occasion to read a couple of books on discipleship. And I remember reading the first one, and um, it was very prescriptive. Do this, do this. And it leaned towards a kind of a legalistic list of what disciples do in the church. And it left me feeling boxed in and wondering, if this is what, is this what all discipleship type books are like? And thankfully, no. read another one and uh, studied it with a group. And um, it, was, it was very clear about what discipleship, what the call was. But the doing was not spelled out in detail for us. We were left to the challenge of being a disciple in the details of our life. It can be an onerous task to read books on being a disciple or even hearing a message this morning on being a disciple. Because the nature of the material is unsettling. And when costs like passages like this, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Or ones like this, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My, fa- my father will honor the one who serves me. No mistake about it, this is intimidating stuff. And the immediate understanding of what this is to look like exactly in our lives can leave us frustrated, anxious, and fearful, saying, I don't understand. And then when you read through the Gospels, the disciples said many times they didn't understand. They didn't know where this disciple, this following thing was going. But we're in good company. Look how they turned out at the end of the day. Um, I guess what I'm trying to say is let him speak. First and foremost, let him speak. He's made, he's made disciples in the past and, it, and they have come from the same batch of humanity. But the key is to be intentional and to make room and to let him speak these words again. A guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a Christian uh, during the Second World War um, and was killed by the Nazis, uh, he thought, a, uh, thought and wrote a lot about being a disciple. And he said, we no longer read the Bible seriously. We, only, we, we no longer read it against ourselves, but only for ourselves. And then he said, disciples are the kind of people who take upon themselves what others would shake off. So the first step is, I know some of these, you know, some of those statements are, are unnerving and stuff. But let Jesus speak. He doesn't want to hurt us. He's a good shepherd. And he knows where he wants to take us. And he knows what that's going to look like in your life. One of the things that I think is very taught in this church a lot is that to be able to do that, it's very helpful to find a mentor or a person who will pay attention to the details of your life. And they show up specifically so that they help you 
Listen to what Jesus is saying in the details of your life. I, wouldn't, I would just encourage you to continue to do that. If, you, if you're doing it, keep it up. And then if you haven't, it's incredibly helpful. And the pieces start to fall together. Second thing we find in this passage in, in John chapter 8, in which Jesus defines a disciple, he says, a disciple holds on to my teaching. And if you do, you know the truth. It'll be more than head truth. It'll be substantial, tried and tested. And the result is always freedom. You will have convictions and your life will be a conviction based on truth. And this other guy says it better than I do. But sometimes when he says it's hard to understand, so I'll say it twice. I'll read it twice. Um... What we suffer from today is humility in the wrong place. Modesty has moved from the organ of ambition. Modesty has settled upon the organ of conviction where it was never meant to be. A man or woman was meant to be doubtful about him or herself, but undoubting about the truth. And that has been exactly reversed. I'll read that again. What we suffer from today is humility in the wrong place. Modesty is moved from the organ of ambition. Modesty is settled upon the organ of convictions where it was never meant to be. A man or woman was meant to be doubtful about him or herself, but undoubting about the truth, this has been exactly reversed. Now, in Malawi, I've seen conviction in action with many times with Abusi Yakobi, the fellow that I've worked with the past seven years. Um, and I've seen it played out many times. And one time when we were um, having meetings in Mozambique, um, we arrived there and we were there for a few days. And we had this meeting one day and we'd already been in the church for six hours, which is a pretty long time. And it was rifling hot and it was very dry and there was no like comfort sweets around. I, I like trying to take some and I ran out of comfort sweets. Um, and the water was hot because you have to bring the water. Uh, you have to bring your water for like four days, and by the time it's in the back of the truck, it's quite warm. Anyways, we'd been in there for a long time, and um, I'm saying, oh, my goodness, it's, it's over. The meeting's over, finally. And then Yacobi says, well, wait a minute. And Yacobi, out of conviction for the truth, plowed through another hour and a half. He says, we're not done. And um, he just modeled for me, and I went back and told him, I said, it was amazing. I mean, we're all tired, we're all weary, and we all wanted to go home. But Jacobi just, um, he plowed through it, and he held on to the truth. So let him speak and hold on to the truth. I lost my notes. Here we go. We said two things today that are foundational for the journey of discipleship. We said first and foremost, let him speak, and the second is hold on to his teachings. And that's pretty simple. We could have chosen a lot of different things to say today, 
and we could have been more uh, informational and said to you, uh, given you different details about Malawi and what it's like to be there, what are the concerns that Malawians face. We've actually decided to do that for you in a uh, sort of a, a, just a piece of paper that has on one side information that is very good for you to know about the situation in Malawi. On the other side, gives you a bit more of a history of, of ourselves and what we do there and what, is, uh, what we're looking to next. So we've done that for you out there, and if you'd like to pick that up, you're welcome to. But we're sharing this specifically today because it is where we are wrestling with God the deepest right now. Asking ourselves the question, what does our discipleship look like? And what is God's call to discipleship supposed to look like for us in Malawi? What we haven't tried to do is paint a detailed picture of what it should look like in your life. We know there is much more that can be said, and there are perhaps some very helpful how-tos which can also be shared. But the nature of discipleship is, as Calvin Miller puts it, Discipleship at its heart is a covenant of following no matter what. There is no formula. It's actually a covenant of following. The nature of following means that your journey is going to look different than mine. It's not my job to tell you how to work out your discipleship specifically in your life, unless God has put me in a relationship or someone in a relationship with you where that's where you've entered that together and, and, and you're looking to them for that kind of help. <clears throat> but it is your job and it is ours to remind each other to let him speak and then respond according to the grace and ability that God gives us to do so. Why do we keep emphasizing let him speak? Very simple. Even our kids said, wow, you know, we actually understood your message. <laughs> we thought, well, that's good. Everybody knows what we're talking about. We can only attest to the fact in our own lives that when we, more often we find ourselves reducing God's call to what is manageable and convenient, and we're busy trying to define discipleship for ourselves. And one of the realities in Malawi is we uh, have a lot of people in our lives who are sick with AIDS and who end up uh, passing away. And one of the things that I've realized is 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we have it on plaques, we put it on posters, it's beautiful, we give it at weddings. It's, it's just this glorious passage, and it is. But, you know, I found out that it's actually not meant to be convenient. It's actually meant... Uh, to be real in our lives. And I'm finding out that love is not something that's necessarily intended to be a convenient giving of ourselves when we feel like it. All good learning and relearning begins with listening. And we live in a busy, noisy world that to listen is very difficult. We're taught to be assertive, which is helpful in some situations, but could its downfall have been that it has taught us to do all the talking and absolutely no listening? Some of the most difficult things to do are actually the simplest in terms of clarity. Let him speak. You see, the call to discipleship is actually the same for us all, whether we are here in Canada or over there in Malawi. We're called to hold him here, as Neil Porter is called to here, and we're called to hold him there, as Bumble Pensilo is called to hold him there. Uh, Neil Porter is a Christian businessman here, and he sells office supplies. Bumble Pensolo has a small store that sells whatever he can afford to sell. He and his wife actually sleep inside their store to be able to protect their precious few belongings. 
I thought it was kind of funny because Neil sells office supplies and Bubble Pencil, his last name is, Mr. is Pencil if you translate it. So anyway. Um, what do a Christian businessman in Canada and a Christian businessman in Malawi have in common? On the surface, it seems like not a lot. Each has their own individual stories, which are loaded with personal history. Each is affected and separated culturally, geographically, linguistically, economically, and socially. But the call is still exactly the same. They are both called to that covenant of following, no matter what. Both need to let Jesus speak, and both need to hold on to his teachings. The visible gap gets closed because of this call to discipleship. This season of Lent is the perfect time to begin or to recommit to this journey of letting Jesus speak. And what we want to say today is let his life speak, let his teachings speak, let his conversations with wobbly disciples speak, let his admonitions to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, who we relate to more than we realize, speak, let his journey to the cross speak, let his resurrected life speak, and let his command to go into all the world and make more disciples speak. And in the midst of this, this is our prayer that you may know that God is intentional about holding you. And may that spur you on and, and us on all the more to hold on to our key witness, Jesus, who God has given to us as the clearest testimony of life lived God's way. Let him speak. I was never good at memorizing stuff. Um, I want to leave you with this benediction. May you enter into this season of Lent and invite you to come. See his hands and his feet, the scars that speak of sacrifice. Hands that flung stars into space to cruel nails surrendered. This is your God, the servant king. Let's bring our lives as a daily offering of worship to the servant king. And in the grace he provides, let's do it together.